Welcome everyone to Tamriel Adventures, a show that brings you information from all across the far reaches of Tamriel. I am your host, Eric A.K. Sulior, and this one is the Kajiti Merchant. Wait, what? What? Where have you been? You should know you were the one who did not choose to speak to me when you had the opportunity to in several episodes, like the episode with Glavicus Vile. This one had a clever story that he wanted to share with you. I'm sorry. I really should have. But, um, yeah, you're here now. So, yes, and Tiny she needs to learn not to interrupt. Yeah, sorry, my cat likes to join the episodes also. <laughs> Little Khajiit needs to be quiet. Come here. Come here, Yoda. Anyway, yes, once again, my cat has joined the episode. Just because he insists on making an appearance on everything I do these days, it seems. Anyway, that is not the topic of today's episode. Today's episode is going to be about the Daedra Lord of the Hunt, Hircine. This one has plenty of experience with Hircine also. Really? Yes, this one used to have a bodyguard that turned out to be a werewolf. Really? Uh, that's a good thing, right? You would think? Yes, until he tried to eat this one. Then he need to get, needed to get as far away from possible. Yeah, good luck with that. They've got a really strong sense of smell from what I understand. But we will talk about werewolves a little bit later in the episode. I would like to bring up a few bits of news that I've seen lately. So, not really a whole lot about... Elder Scrolls other than the fact that they're giving a preview of update 32 so if you would like I will leave this link in the show notes but basically it is talking about the Deadlands DLC which will be the final update for the Gates of Oblivion story arc so I would really love to play that because the last DLC in the story arc is always a story DLC more than a dungeon DLC. Um, I know people who just absolutely love the dungeon DLCs, and I typically don't play them because I don't really have many people to play with um, in Elder Scrolls Online. Um, I did do some of them with the Hive Guild, but we um, have been pretty quiet lately. Hopefully we can change that here soon. Uh, let's see, up next in the show notes, we've got an article about Deathloop. So Deathloop is now live. So I would really love to play this game. It sounds really cool and it has had nothing but great reviews. So I am actually looking on Steam right now and it stands at a mostly positive uh, 74% of 6,337 votes of all time. IGN actually gave it a 10 out of 10, so that is uh, really good. PC Gamer said that uh, stealth is a great success in this game. Um, combat is a failure. They also said that they completed the game um, within 24 hours, but there's still tons to do. So, I mean, that's good. There's all I really have an issue with games where once you complete the main story, you have to go back to an earlier save. 
Um, and that includes Cyberpunk. As much as I love Cyberpunk, I would love to be... I mean, you can still play after you beat the main quest, but you have to go back to a save from before you beat the main quest, and usually they'll give you some goodies for beating the main quest. Um, anyway, next up in the news is a video on YouTube from the Noclip uh, crew. So if you're not familiar with Noclip, they did a documentary on the history of Bethesda that's definitely worth checking out, but this time they are releasing a YouTube documentary on the making of Arcane's Prey. So we were just talking about Deathloop, who is also done by Arcane. Well, they did uh, Prey and Dishonored, uh, not to mention Arx Fatalis, which was a PC-only game that I actually was able to pick up for free in the Bethesda launcher. So yeah, it's definitely interesting. Definitely, definitely go check it out. Um, also in the news is that Elder Scrolls Blades has a new patch out. It's 1.16, so I will leave the link in the show notes about that. Um, not gonna lie, I don't really play a lot of Blades these days. I did have a lot of fun with it, but it kind of got repetitive and grindy. It's still definitely a fun Elder Scrolls mobile game. Uh, so this November 11-11-2021 is the 10th anniversary of Skyrim. It's hard to believe that it has been 10 years and then there are days where it seems like it's been 30 years. But um, Bethesda is going to be doing a 10th anniversary fan celebration for the 10th anniversary of Skyrim. So... What it is, is a uh, live stream of fan art and a concert. So what they're going to be doing, they're going to be showing the reliving of the opening of Skyrim with creators of uh, BGS, or from BGS. And then they are going to have a Skyrim museum where the... uh, they show off a bunch of fan art and they bring characters to life through cosplay and then yeah this is all stuff that has been submitted from the fan community i do remember them asking for things like this a while back and then the london symphony orchestra and london uh, voices choir will do a concert of music from skyrim so this is going to be on November 11th at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the official Bethesda YouTube or Twitch channel. So that's going to be really cool. And hopefully I can watch this again later because more than likely I'm going to be at work at the time. Um, also, I've already mentioned that uh, the Skyrim Anniversary Edition is going to have like if you buy the upgrade for it it's going to have a bunch of mods we talked about that on the last episode but that comes out the same day so yeah that is really exciting so there is a new trailer for ghostwire tokyo again i will post the link in the show notes and redfall has a summer 2022 release date i talked about that a while back that is the new game about vampires um this kind of gets into my gameplay a little bit but i've been 
playing a ton of Stardew Valley lately. I'll be talking about that in a minute. <clears throat> the creator of Stardew Valley says he doesn't know if there's going to be another update because he's focused on the next game. So this is an article from Eurogamer. And yeah, I've talked about Stardew Valley before. I absolutely love, love, love Stardew Valley. So this is, the creator is Zach uh, Hartman, who also goes by Hunt Surpassable Z. And he mentioned on Twitch um, at the end of the first official Stardew Valley Cup, um, there's also Concerned Ape, um, who's mainly known as the developer. Um, that is a guy that goes, or whose name is Eric Barone. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, they handled a bunch of questions from the community, and one of them was about mods that let players marry non-marriageable uh, characters. Um, which a lot of those are characters who are already married, so uh, yeah, that could probably cause some issues. But uh, he was asked about all of this, and uh, Barone replied uh, to explain why having almost everyone in the game marriageable would be just a ton of work. Um, I can see that because all these characters have uh, events that happen the more your relationship with them develops, whether it's platonic or romantic. Um, I'm already married, and I recently had a an, an event with a character I'm not married to. Um, so yeah, I, I can see how that's a lot of work, but they did talk about how they are going to be working on another game like their focus is on another game now and it's another pixel art game uh, with top-down uh, perspective like Stardew Valley but it's not a farming game it's something different so I'm excited to see what that studio can bring because Stardew Valley is absolutely amazing um, most of the time I don't like games that don't have a story but this game has enough story to keep me hooked um, I guess I'll go ahead and talk about it so yeah I've been playing a lot of Stardew Valley lately I took a break from it for a while uh, but I did start a new character when the last update uh, 1.5 dropped and that added a bunch of content to the game including a new farming type which is a beach farm and that has proven to have some challenges but some great things also so with the beach farm you can't place sprinklers around to water the plants for you um, there are things that you can do to keep the soil hydrated like certain types of fertilizers um, offer a chance for the water to stay in the soil uh, well, to have the soil, soil stay hydrated as opposed to having to water the area every single day, which takes up energy. Um, the nice thing is, is that stuff will wash up on the beach, not to mention the fact that I love fishing. Fishing is one of the things that I love to do in the game. It's how I spend a lot of time in the game. But stuff will wash up on the beach in little in pieces of wood, and you can use your axe or your scythe or whatever to open it up. And you'll have some goodies that you wouldn't have gotten otherwise, like sugar, you know, cooking oil, um, bombs, just a lot of 
goodies that you can get from these things. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's a challenge to have to water your soil every day unless you do uh, find a fertilizer or a craft fertilizer to keep it hydrated on its own. But, yeah, I'm, let's see, I'm summer of year two. I have gotten farther in the game, like, you know, chronologically, but there's things that I've done in this character that I've never done before. Like, um, certain things that I've crafted, I've gotten really, really far in the mine that's in the desert. Um, like, I've gotten past level 25. That mine is really difficult. But I've gotten items completed in the community center that I've never completed before. Like, I never had a rabbit's foot. I just happened to... Actually, I found two. Um, I think one of them was from one of those things that washed up on the store. Um, either that or I bought it from the vendor that shows up two days out of the week in the woods. But I don't, I don't remember. But I did find two um, certain secret note events I've never completed before that I've completed now. Um, let's see, I'm married, I've got a kid on the way, it's not quite here. I've upgraded the farm multiple times. I've upgraded the, uh, the barn and the chicken coop uh, once. I'm about to upgrade the barn a second time so I can get pigs and sheep. Uh, that's another thing uh, that I've never done before. I, I've upgraded the barn. I've never upgraded the barn at all, period. But I have once this time, so I've got been able to get goats. Yeah, it's just there's so much to this game that I'll be playing it. And I'll just be like, all right, one more day. One more day. I'm just going to go through one more day in the game. And the next thing I know, it's been two hours. So, yeah, this game, if you haven't checked it out, it's everywhere. I've gotten it on three platforms myself. I've gotten it on Xbox, mobile, and on the Switch. So it is on the Switch if you want to play it there. That's actually the first way I played it. And, yeah, um, other than that, I have been playing some more Elder Scrolls, um, Elder Scrolls Online. I continued with the Dark Brotherhood storyline. And I'm probably going to start doing more of the main quest because, as I mentioned in the last episode with Lotus of Doom, which if you haven't checked that out, definitely go check that out. It's weird that just in the last day, my listens on that episode went up like at least 20 listens. But um, yeah, I've continued with the Dark Brotherhood story. Uh, the problem that I have with that is that a lot of these quests you have to reach or certain level in the Dark Brotherhood skill line, like you have to reach level 10 or whatever, before the next story quest will drop. And everything else is radiant quests. Like it'll send you to a certain town or whatever, and you either need to kill somebody specific or kill a certain number of people in that area. And it just gets really, that does get kind of grindy. And of course your bounty goes up if you get caught. Um, that's the only thing is that I want to just do the story quests. I don't want to just keep doing all these stupid radiant quests and risk getting caught. But it is what it is. Uh, like I said, I might start doing more of the main quest and actually finish that off because I'm getting very close to the time where you actually go and invade Cold Harbor. 
Um, other than that, I also played some Oblivion. Um, if you aren't listening to ASA podcasting podcasts like Skyromatic or the Fallout Feed, they're friends of the show. Definitely go check them out. They're about to start an Oblivion roundtable. So I've been playing some Oblivion where um, I think, let's see, that the last thing I did in the main quest is I think I did the battle for Bruma where a gate opens upside, or upside, outside Bruma, and you have to show the town how to go and close it on their own, just in case another one goes and opens up. So not not the Great Gate, that comes later, but that's the last thing I did in the main quest. I mainly have been running around Shivering Isles, so I just finished the uh, madness uh, quest the chat where you get the chalice of madness that quest is a pain in the ass it's one of the most frustrating quests in the game because you have to take something called feldu and you get addicted to it immediately and you have to keep finding feldu which is secreted by these giant mantis things called elytra i believe that's what they're called and the first time I ever did this quest, I didn't know how to do the duplication glitch. So I got really far and then I just stopped. I actually quit playing Oblivion for a while because I couldn't finish that quest. And so I looked it up on YouTube. And like I said, this was years ago. And it turned out I was only like one or two rooms away from the very end of the dungeon. But all of the comments underneath were like, man, fuck this quest, or, man, this quest made me quit, and yeah, it, it, it's really frustrating, but if you know how to do the duplication glitch, it's super easy, because you can just keep duplicating the Feldu, so you never run out of it, because if you run out, I don't know if you eventually die, but you become over-encumbered, you can't move, you can't do anything. So it's really hard. I did pass, I did complete that one, and I'm working on the next part where you have to kill the um, Count of Dementia, the woman who is super, super paranoid. So that is my gameplay. I'm going to take a short break, and you will hear me shill for Anchor, and then we will talk about Gear Scene. Stay tuned, guys. See you on the other side. Alright you guys, welcome back after that short break. So let's talk here scene. So oddly enough, this article from the UESP wiki does not open up with a quote like pretty much all of the other Adra and Daedra. So it says that Hircine is known as the Huntsman, the Lord of the Hunt, Master of Beasts, Master of the Chase, and is the Daedric Prince whose sphere is the Hunt, the Sport of Daedra, the Greatest Game, and the Chase and Sacrifice of Mortals. His realm of oblivion is the Hunting Grounds, and it is an endless forest where the prince and his huntsmen hunt the great beasts, people, and even other Daedra. Hircine is typically portrayed as holding a great spear and either the head of or skull of an elk, the latter of which Khajiit myths say belong to Ephraim's champion, the 
Grot Elk, G-R-A-H-T. Here's seen as one of the more widely worshipped Daedric princes in Tamriel, despite never actively seeking worship or reverence. His appeal lies in his sphere, which encompasses the thrill of the hunt, though this can be taken to extremes. Yeah, uh, I think we saw that in Skyrim, did we not? Um, his advocacy for sportsmanship is another lure, as the law of fair hunt, which he holds to prohibits cheating prey, referred to as the hare, out of genuine chance at escape. He admires the hare that overcomes whatever is thrown at them, no matter what the odds. For example, one who turns the game on its head by hunting the hunters may earn the prince's respect. Finally, he is straightforward in his desires. He often seeks people out, tests them, and rewards those who proves themselves worthy of a boon. Yeah, we also saw that in Skyrim. Um, as the progenitor, uh, that's an interesting word, of lycanthropy, so he created lycanthropy, Hircine is recognized as the father of man-beasts. He serves as the guardian of were-creatures, which are often referred to as his children. The condition is called Hircine's gift by those who view it as a blessing, and Hircine's curse to those who consider it an abomination. Hircine is quite prideful of lycanthropy and resents those who received it willingly but have come to regret it. He is known to have ingrates slain to rid them of their misery, regardless of whether they worshipped him or not. I wonder if that's what happened to Codlack. Uh, spoilers for those of you who haven't completed the companion storyline. Um, yeah, I wonder if that's what happened. We'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. So regardless of whether or not they worship him, Hircine will typically claim the, shoal, the souls of skin shifters, and they will spend eternity in the hunting grounds. That gets talked about quite a bit in Skyrim. So the Demi-Prince Deirola, I think is how you pronounce that, Deirola, uh, D-E-A-R-O-L-A, is Hircine's daughter. There is the belief that Hircine is aligned with Mamrin's Dagon, but this may be an oversimplification by mortals. So um, let's actually talk about Demi Prince Dirola a little bit. So she is the Daedric offspring of the uh, of Hircine, as I mentioned earlier, and is a lesser entity such as a mortal. Although they often inherit aspects of their princely parent, they are notably eccentric and can be lacking in characteristics. So this is just about um, Demi Prince's to begin with. Uh, so. Let's actually see if I can find Diarola. So there isn't a ton here about Diarola. Um, the Song of Gwenna claims that she intermingled with the Reach folk, and one of her descendants was Chief Roland of the Hornstride clan, whose mystical prowess could be attributed to his lineage. However, there are several different versions of the song, all of which lead to Roland's bloodline being killed. So, yeah, that that's all there is about Yorola. I don't know where this is in the uh, books, but it's got to be mentioned somewhere. It says here also that Hircine has Daedra lords that manage some of his subspheres and report to him, such as the Lord of Fishing, which I guess makes sense. He may also be associated with the Daedra Lord Hollowjack, and Ebonarum is said to be an enemy of Hircine. 
Here's seeing the summoning day is the 5th of mid-year. So, let's see here. Hollowjack is uh, more... It, it, it's known as uh, Haludzek, which I'm guessing is an orc name. Um, and he is the Daedra Lord who rules over the demi-plain of Detrius. He is also known as the Lord of Mortal Fears and the Fear of Daedra. He is a unique Greater Daedra, which is a Pumpkin Spectre, which is interesting. I, I didn't know that was a thing. He derives supernatural power by metaphysically feeding on the terrified whispers of men and myrrh who are driven by fear to pray for divine intervention. It is in this moment of dread that Holojack appears. Speaking softly or in whispers from the mouth of full of long, sharp teeth in order to carry out this fear feeding. He has a long and slender, agile fingers tipped with sharp talons that can slash or puncture, which are usually used to, to gently emphasize what the voice behind them is saying. I have never heard of this. Uh, this is new to me. So... Hollowjack bears some similarities to Jack of the Hollow. So this kind of sounds like the Headless Horseman um, in a way. You know, uh, Sleepy Hollow, Jack the Hollow. Um, but Jack the Hollow is a malevolent spirit said to haunt the hidden hollow in Rivenspire. That actually, yeah. Um, there is an event in Skyrim where you can actually encounter the Headless Horseman. I'm wondering if it's actually Jack the Hollow. So I've never actually encountered it, but um, that is something that you can encounter in Skyrim. But I didn't really know what the story was behind it. So let's continue with Hearsing, uh, what we're here to talk about. So... There are some aspects of here seen that um, we can talk about here. So there's an, a picture here in the article of an emblem that represents here seen. It kind of looks like a deer head with really long and a uh, bunch of spikes on its antlers. So the Reach folk believe there are only five aspects of here seen, with each worthy of reverence. There may be more than five, however, as the Glenmoral word worship an additional owl of aspect. Hearsing worshippers are known to craft their weapons and armor in the style that honors these fingers. Alrabeg is the hunter that and he bears the spear of bitter mercy, which he manifests. Kajit is interrupting again. Tiny Kajit is interrupting again. Please make him be quiet. Alright, yeah, come here, Yoda. Be quiet. He, uh, anyway, um, Alabrag comes to Nern to hunt new prey or to bring prey native to the hunting grounds to the mortal plane. If he arrives without prey, then he has come to select a hare in his next hunt. Worshippers invoked Alabrag's name when, hunting, when praying for a bountiful hunt. So next up is Storybreg. And he is the wolf, and he bears the wolf skull totem. Storybeg introduced the gift of skin shifting to mortals to remind them that they can be predators, not prey. So this must be where lycanthropy comes from. 
When he comes to Nern, he hunts with these skin shifters or seeks to, quote, adopt new children and turn them pelt side out. So uh, basically what he's saying is that the beast has been in, in the person all along. It just needs to come out. That is to say, he turns mortals into werewolves. His howl is capable of freezing his prey's innards. Uh, that is actually something that's shown in Skyrim. Like, you can actually press a button, howl, and people will basically turn to mush. Um, met, uh, metaphorically, not literally. So, when combined with speed, um, it makes for difficult makes it difficult for prey to flee from him. So an account with the Drudok Mountains tells the tells of Storbeg appearing as a wraith-like wolf composed of extreme storm and fog, and his arrival was preceded by inclement weather. The account tells him tells of him stealing an unwary uh, during the night before vanishing. His terrifying Daedric howl was unforgettable, described as mournful, brazen, and unrelenting. So now we've got Yurikabeg, which is a stag, and he comes to mate with hinds, okay, and may transform a mortal woman into one of her, uh, into one for the same purpose. He may also arrive to call the herd of the weak. His hooves drum the blood summons that lure prey into his herd, which are then led into the hunting grounds where they meet their end. It's great. Some of his offspring have granted mortals to honor or ride him. Now there's Gullabeg, which is a fox. He shares characteristics with some of the cultural interpretations of Lorcan. Like Lorcan, Gullabeg is a trickster at his worst. Gullabeg will deceive mortals into meeting their own demise, or he will swift, use his swift bite to weaken prey. He shows some parallels with Shore, the Nordic interpretation of Lorcan, whose totem is a fox. Gullbeck's symbol is the Wand of Bone, which was fashioned in from a shard of Lorcan's ribs. And it also has the ability to confound any mortal. In one tale, a medallion associated with Gullbeck was less conventional, uh, makes less conventional forms of communication understandable. So Gullbeck is said to reward those he finds clever by teaching them tricks and secrets. These, uh, the Reachmen claim, helped them survive the fall of Lork. So finally, we've got Horkabeg, which is a bear. He embodies strength and has ties to the totem of five, or I'm sorry, totem of claw and fang. And he comes to Nern, seeking solitude, peace from labors, and renewal of the burning spirit within. He may bless those that make offerings of mead with power of the bear heart. However, he will attack those who disturb his peace. Though he is slow, he makes up for it with strength, and he tears praise apart if he catches up to them. So let's talk about worship and culture of Hircine. So as I mentioned earlier, Hircine is devoted or promised afterlife within the hunting grounds. So it is a savage land that provides uh, that provides to its dwellers. Here, one can indulge in spectacular hunts. Those within the realm experience an endless 
cycle of violence as well as, as death and rebirth. Its inhabitants reside in the many hunting lodges dotting the landscape. Forests of the hunting grounds are teemed with powerful beasts which allow Hirsing's followers to engage in the most spectacular hunts. To those faithful, the plain is a paradise. Hirsing is the master of the Great Hunt, which is a grandiose contest that typically pits participants of the prince's choosing against each other for his amusement. This event is common occurrence in the hunting grounds to which the mortals are sometimes invited. Outside of his plane, they are rare, and rumored to they are rumored to happen only once in an era. Hirsing may call upon the Great Hunt on Nern for his own merriment, or to punish those who defy him. When the Great Hunt is hosted on Nern, Secunda turns red, becoming the Blood Moon. The hunt proceeds until the Blood Moon subsides. That sounds a lot like a Morrowind DLC. Hmm wonder what that's about. The blood moon is said to symbolize the blood of the hunter's prey, and those who wish to join the great hunt craft round bone pendants that are stained with the blood to represent its event. Should one emerge victorious from the great hunt, they are permitted to ask Hirsine for a grand boon. So let's talk about how the Altmer view Hirsine. Here scenes out Mary Faithful may face the wrath of the divine persecution. So the Altmer detests anything related to Daedra. They believe Daedra are not to be bargained with, and the Somerset Law decrees that summoning them warrants a death sentence. I honestly do not blame them with that. To wield Daedric magic is to insult one's lineage. Altmer are very zealous in their beliefs, and that it warrants the existence of the divine prosecution which is tasked with enforcing religious laws that include stomping out any Daedra worshipped. In the context of Hirsing, thanks to the insolent policies of the Altmer, they are vulnerable to the spread of lycanthropy. This became evident when Queen, Queen Irene, which is not the same as Queen Irene, opened the Somerset Isles immigrant to immigrants of other races. Actually, that is Queen Irene. Um... So yeah, that is actually a uh, uh, plot point of the Somerset DLC in ESO. So I didn't. So okay, the spelling of this is different. That's why I was confused. So in the article on Queen Irene herself, it's spelled A Y R E N N. In the Hearsene article, they must have misspelled it. So UESP, you need to correct this so in the hearsing article it was spelled a-y-r-e-e-n so anyway yeah um she opened up the shores of somerset to other races and that was very controversial with the altmary people so by doing this she actually made them vulnerable to lycanthropy so lycanthropes are a rare rarity on the isle, and thus the Altmer were not familiar with how best to handle them. When the Bosmeri Thornfang pack migrated to Somerset, they found it comparable to a safe haven, and they were they were able to spread their gift with relative ease. So Altmer seeking to worship the Lord of the Hunt also look elsewhere to avoid persecution. I don't blame them at all. Uh, one such individual was Lady. 
Giselein, I think is how you pronounce that, G-H-I-S-L-I-A-N-E. She is an Auburn noble who held Grand Hunts away from Somerset and where mortals and exotic creatures were brought in as quarry. She ran a kidnapping ring to populate her hunts with with fellow mortals. That isn't awful at all. Anyway, uh, she invited the local elites of society, including other Altmer, to participate in her games. So we just kind of mentioned the Bosmer here. So here's seen is a Daedric power, uh, scene is a Daedric power of some significance among the Bosmer, though their perception of the hunter varies. While the hunter's name may invoke, be, may be invoked for luck in a hunt, going further can lead to cruel or violent extremes. In the Dawn era, before Ephraim's naming stabilized the forms of most creatures, Life was struck in a chaotic, ever-changing state called the Ooze. I mentioned this in the Bosmer episode. Actually, go and check that out. From the Ooze, Ifre gave shape to the Bosmer, but forbade them from ever changing that shape through the terms of the Green Pact. The souls who violate the Green Pact would be condemned to return to the Ooze. The only shape-shifting allowed by the Wood Elves culture is during the collective ritual known as the Wild Hunt, which is only invoked in the act of vengeance or desperation. The Bosmer believe that Hircin wishes to return to this chaotic state. As in other cultures, his cultists seem, see shape-shifting as a gift, and view being culturally mandated to a single form as tyranny. Bosmer can transform into a creature of the wild hunt outside of the need for the collective ritual. Doing so this way is not condoned by Ephraim and is punishable by breaking the Green Pact, or punishable for breaking the Green Pact. Hircine is is known as a source for tapping into the transformation in this illicit manner. Hircine is said to have meddled with the nature of wolves, making them susceptible to shapeshifting. This modification is the origin for both werewolves and the wild hunt wolf who, as their name suggests, are wolves who have become unraveled because they have forgotten their Ephraim-taught form, much like creatures that get caught up in Bosmer's wild hunt ritual. Outside influences are a factor for considering the hunt's popular, the, sorry, the hunter's popularity within Valenwood. The formation of the first Aldmeri Dominion led to the rise of Bosmer extremists turning to Hircine, as they saw the Union as potential for their subjugation under the High Elf rule. The Dominion attempted to suppress his worship as Hircine's cultists started kidnapping unwary travelers, somewhat as far as to ask for Hircine's blessing to purge the Dominion's presence from Valenwood. So next it's talking about the Glenmoral Covens. So the Glenmoral Weird are coven, I'm sorry, covens are known for worshiping Hircine in a variety of different ways. Some such as the witches of the Hagfeather Coven, which that should sound familiar to anybody who's played the uh, companion story in Skyrim. The Rhymrock Weird, the Markarth sisters, worship the more feral aspects, while the Elysian and the Viridian Weird worship the less feral side and are known to provide secrets to cure lycanthropy. 
In the Iliac Bay region, the Glenmoral Coven of the Elysian Hills of High Rock are the only group for whom Hircine will answer a summons. Religious idols comprised of tree roots shaped by weird magic have been unfeathered by scholars. They depict female humanoid animal hybrids, such as women with stag horns and cloven feet, a scaled woman with six-breasted wolf women, sorry, and a six-breasted wolf woman. That, wow. Um, one researcher initially theorized that they were representations of Hircine, but later concluded that they may represent totemic divines like those of the Atmorans. The Glenmoral Weird are known for their ability to shapeshift into cre different creatures. This beast form magic is attributed to their knowledge of the mysteries of Hircine's domain. So here it's showing a shrine of Hircine in Cyrodiil, which that looks like his statue in Oblivion. So it shows him with the elk head, a spear, and a wolf companion. So, so yeah, let's talk about the imperial aspect of Hircine. So Hircine is known as the as half the conscience of men to the Bosmer. But the title has was adopted and its connotations invocated as one of the 16 acceptable blasphemies for what Tiber, for what was Tiber Septim's empire. So imperial views toward Hircine can be understood by their general negative view of the Daedra, with a notable difference between the behavior of Colovians and the Nibbanese uh, during the Integrum, I don't know why that word is so hard to pronounce. I N T E R R E G N U M, Integrum. As Colovians are especially religious, they will typically refuse to associate themselves with them. During this period, however, the Nibbanese were more inclined to turn to Daedra worship. A prime example of the Imperial's distaste of Daedra came when the Longhouse Emperors, a short-lived Reachfolk dynasty, which was brought to the end of the Emperor Le Leovic, legalized Daedra worship. Allegedly at the behest of the corrupt advisors, this was done. Leovic consequently drew the ire of many nobles who had once been counted among his supporters. One of these erstwhile supporters, that's an interesting word also, Duke Varen Aquilarius of, of Coral, and anybody who's played ESO should know who that is. Varen Aquilarius, he is the prophet in ESO during the main quest, uh, voiced by Professor Dumbledore, Michael Gambon. He marshaled the armies of the Colovian estates and led them against Leovic in open rebellion from Second Era 576 to Second Era 577. So this is before the events of ESO. In the end, Leovic was killed by Varen in the Imperial Throne Room, and the era of the Longhouse Emperors came to a close. Despite the distaste of Deja worship, it is not banned in Cyrodiil, due, due in part to the Imperial Charter, which permits the Mages Guild to summon Daedra. However, the opinion of religious institutions and the general public is hostile, leaving them leading to Daedra worshippers having to practice in secret. Some even seek to build their shrines out in the wilderness, which where they may be attended by a community of the faithful. 
that's typically how you find them in oblivion they're just out in the wild uh most of them at least they're just out in the open in the wild um not so much with the date with the marin's daegu shrine but most of them anyway and they'll have a few people surrounding them so um in order to avoid discrimination those that follow the Prince of the Hunt opted to build their shrine in Cyrodiil's Great Forest. So, next we'll talk about the Khajiit. So, here seeing the hungry cat, the father of the hunt, in spirit of pursuit and purpose cha purposeful change, is one of the many prominent spirits worshipped by the cultists in Khajiiti culture. His sphere is hunting and skin changing, and he is renowned for renowned for cunning and ferocity. He was born of Anur and Fatima's second litter, from which many spirits known in other cultures as the Daedric Princes sprang. Ancient texts predating the Riddlethar Epiphany state that Hircine was once loved with was once in love with Nirni, but she instead chose Ifre to be her mate after he created the first flower for her. A heartbroken Hircine slew Ifre's companion, the Grot Elk, and took to wearing his head as a trophy. So that's where the elk skull came from. Or, it's not always a skull, but you know what I mean. So, um... The hungry cat is said to be fond of mortals who are near these children. As such, he frequently walks among them. Some Khajiit believe, some Khajiit believe that Hircine to be the father of Nerni's first litter, who were seen as changeable as the moons. This litter would later have their shape stabilized by Azura, who bound their forms to the Jakaje. Khajiit, who have strayed from the path, pray to Hircine, believing that he would guide them back to it. However, lycanthropy is frowned upon as seen as a parody of Khajiit faith. I can see that. So, merchant, you don't like people who leave the form of Khajiit. No, it is seen as an abomination. We are Khajiit and we are proud. So, yeah. Predator Mesa, which is located in Anequina, hosts the temple to here seen. Mesa is said to draw out the bloodlust in every hunter leading the tribe that built the shrine to hunt each other to the death. With the temple unattended, it fell to despair and nature reclaimed the area. As a result, savage beasts began to roam freely within. The area serves hunters seeking to test their strength and cunning. On Predator Mesa, anything with a pulse, even people, are fair game. Those who state their lust for blood on the Mesa can offer their game to the temple's decrepit altars and act um, some believe may earn them the hungry cat's favor. So here's a few articles um, about the Nords and uh, the Needs also, their predecessors. So Keptu the Keptu, which is a Nidic tribe from the Craglorn region of Hammerfell, are known to worship piercing. The Huntsman Prince aided them in the creation of the Bloodroot Forge, which was built for the purposes of harvesting Nurncrux. 
The forge was said to rival the ingenuity of the Aliads and the Dwemer. The forge was later abandoned and would be shunned by the neighboring Nords as a place of evil. One where the Needs worshipped their dark, forgotten gods, and a forge called to all who resided near the boundaries, causing those within vicinity to experience a feral bloodlust. The Needic architecture presented in Craglorn features a variety of carved symbols. The symbol of the stag is prevalent and is speculated to by the farm by the famed archaeologist Lady Clarice Laurent as possibly being attributed to her scene. The imagery is also present in the armor of Keptu, Duraki, and Priyana. Um, I think is how you pronounce that tribes. Those tribes. So here it's talking about uh, traditional Nords, which if you played Skyrim, you know that it, that they certain sects of them really do have a thing for Hircine. So Hircine is seen as a potential obstacle to reaching Sovngarde. Um, yeah, that's talked about in the Companions uh, story, actually. So Nords... Traditional Nords, when they die, they go to Sovngarde, which is basically the Nord version of Valhalla. So, but if if you're a Hircine worshiper, if you become a werewolf or any form of lycanthropy, you don't go to Sovngarde, you go to the hunting ground. So that, some Nords really embrace that and really want to go to the hunting grounds where they can eternally hunt and just satisfy their need for that. Um, some really regret becoming a, a lycanthrope and really long to go to Sovngarde instead. And, um, like that was a main plot point in the companion storyline in Skyrim. So yeah, that's about all I'm really going to say about that. There's also the Reachmen, um, which if you've seen any of the Reachmen, they kind of make it look like they really want to be Hircine. So Hircine is, um, is the most widely worshipped deity within the Reachfolk and is known by many names. Among them are the Spirit of the Hunt, the Great Beast, the Hunt Father, the Hunt King, the Beast Father, Old Elk Eye, Skin Shaper, the Spear of Five Points, the Horned Lord, the Wolf Charmer, and the Master of the Chase, and the Huntsman of the Princes. The Reachman creation story speaks of Hircine's rise to prominence after Lork made a deal with Nemira, who is the ruler of the uh, realm of spirit. Lork convinced Nemira to grant him a place in the infinite void to create a realm of wayward, for wayward spirits, but is not without a cost. Lork sacrificed himself to create a harsh realm, one that is unforgiving and intended to teach through suffering. Hircine took the mantle of Lork's creation, becoming the sovereign world of flesh. For this reason, the Reachmen refer to them as the Lord of the Arena. The Reach folk believe that Hircine will fight alongside them at the end of all days. The Reach folk believe that Hircine gifted them their homeland of the Reach, and their geographical proximity to enemies on all sides delves, drives them to follow the Prince of Principles living for, for in the now. Hircine's engenders 
a, a sense of urgency. The unease needed to keep the people of the reach safe, as there may be another threat looming over the horizon. Thus, Hirsene has reason to be cruel and is swifter, stronger, and more cunning. The Briarheart ritual of the Reach folk is reflective of the need to improve and involves communing with Hirsene to ritualistically replace the heart of a skilled Reach folk warrior with poisoned briars. This ritual represents Lork's immortal sacrifice, which is reflected by ending one's own life, with the end result being that the warrior is resurrected as a living weapon with great strength and endurance. These warriors are called Briarhearts. These unnatural beings suffer, suffer constant pain and pay the price to benefit the transformation to protect their clan. The Bloodroot Forge was used by the Red clan to create bloodthirsty beings known as the Bloodforge, who, who share some similarities with Briarhearts. However, the Bloodforge creations involved the Nurncrux Hearthstone being used in place of a Briarheart. So, um, I don't know if you, I'm sure you guys have encountered Briarhearts in the game. Um, this isn't easy to do, but if you can sneak up on one and actually pickpocket their Briarheart, they'll die. Um, I've never actually successfully done it, although I don't usually try. I usually just go in there sword swinging and everything or whatever. But, um, yeah, that is the story behind the Briarhearts. So, um, here's scene is also involved in the legend of the chieftain Fiasov, F-I-A-S-O-F, which is a tragedy told by the Reach folk uh, storytellers throughout generations. The story teaches Reach folk to challenge themselves and touts humility as an essential trait. The legend, the, sorry, the legend of the chieftain Fiasov um, tells of a hunter whose great skill meant that he never struggled in his hunts. His mastery of the chase initially brought by brought piercing joy. However, Fiasov became prideful and grew content with these trivial hunts. This angered Hirsene, who he proposed, and so he proposed a new game to punish the chief. Hirsene cursed the chieftain's entire tribe, turning them into white deer, and instructed the chieftain to hunt them. Fiasov complied and rallied a hail of arrows upon them, easily turning their white hides to red. It was when Fiasov went to dress the game that he realized what he'd done. He broke his bow over his knee and asked for forgiveness which the prince then provided. White deer are interpreted as omens sent by Hircine, and his association with them can be seen in other cultures. So that is the Nords. So uh, the Dunmer primarily worship the good Daedra and recognize the House of Troubles as obstacles. Some Daedric ruins have been erected by dissidents in worship of gods that are not culturally relevant, such as Vermina's Shrine in Tenmar Walk and the statue of Hircine present at Hymlum Keep, which they show a picture of uh, Hircine in there, his wolf aspect. Um, I don't know why that is right there. So, to commemorate the shortening of days coinciding with the old life, dark tales and unsettling, and unsettling songs are told, such as the wolf, 
that crave the sky, which involves Storybag, the skin changer. The Reachman version of the tales states that the coming of the New Life Festival, Storybag and Harikbag uh, came to, into conflict with each other, and the New Life marks the winter solstice when the days begin to lengthen due to the return of the sun. So um, let's talk a little bit about what Hircine has done throughout the history of Nern. So um, there are some interactions in the Merithic era, but uh, due to the lack of written accounts for the Merithic era, there is a lacuna of information of Hircine. However, it's rumored that he may have unleashed the curse of lycanthropy upon Nern uh, during this time. But the first, yeah, the first accounts are during the Merithic era, the early Merithic era. So the father of man beast bestowed his gifts upon the first hunters that worshipped him by melding their cunning to the strength and form of beasts. There, these were uh, these early few that were directly blessed by the huntsmen are referred to as the first turned, and are comparable to Molagbal's daughters of Cold Harbor, which we'll talk about that when we get to. Uh, ball. So let's talk about the first era here. So Hircine was honored among the likes of the Lame Ball as a patron of shape-shifting around the time of the Alessian Empire. This is evident by the engravings of the, on the shapeshifter's chain, which is an artifact composed of multiple metal chains, and each are enchanted with to be beneficial to shapeshifters of all walks of life. One of the earliest known encounters with Hircine is told in the tale of, the, of a Nord known as the as Thane Icehammer, who sometimes in the mid to late 5th century of the first era unknowingly killed several lycanthropes during the hunting trip during, uh, sorry, in the Yagram River Basin. Angered by the death of his kin, Hircine thrust the spear of bitter mercy into Icehammer's side whereupon the tip broke off and remained lodged inside him. Thane returned wounded to his home of Cragwallow, but the magic of Hircine's spears slowly turned him mad, ultimately causing him to murder an acolyte of Kine in a fit of rage. Matron Icehammer was appalled by her husband's actions and ordered the guards to subdue him, but he fled into an ancient Nordic burial ruin in the mountains of northeast Cragwallow, whereupon he was sealed alive within as punishment. The ruins became known as Icehammer's Vault and would become a sort of infamous as the Thane Icehammer continued to stalk the halls of a as a drogger. In his state of undeath and rage, he was fueled by the spear fragment which remained inside him until he was finally slain in Second Era 582 as an adventurer or by an adventurer. Hircine's vengeance reached further as hardships for the Icehammer clan soon followed, which led to their name dying out by the end of the First Era. So, I this mentions the events of ESO, the time period of ESO, and I have never encountered this. I need to seek that out. So, let's see, it's in the... So, yeah, I, I'm definitely going to look for this so during the second era a strain of vampirism known as Noxphilic sanguivora 
easy for me to say. That's, yeah, I guess it was. I don't know. Um, it became commonplace throughout Tamriel. Vampires of this breed were not weakened by the sunlight and were strengthened by the moonlight, leading to the scholar Sina Sophica. I, I can't pronounce that. I'm sorry. To believe that it originated as a result of a piece of the f- fiction. Sorry, piece of fiction. 17 tastes of infamy, and Sinna himself is infamous as the sensationalist within the scholarly circles. So, let's talk about Hircin and the Hound. So, Hircin sought the Green Lady as a trophy for generations. One theory as to why is that she represents the strongest of the Bosmer, who are said to be among the greatest hunters of Nern. After the Bosmer Gwarring, I think is how you pronounce that, was chosen as the Green Lady, she was obligated to marry the new the new Sylvaner. In a dare in dare near, I think is how you pronounce that. That's another tough word. For the good of the Bosmeri people. Her former lover, Ulthorn, became bitter and Hircin took advantage of his passion, forging him into a faithful servant. Ulthorn became bitter, and he became a husk of his former self as the Hound. He sought to usurp the Sylvanaire's role so that he could be bonded to the Green Lady and through the Handfest. This ritual represents the joining of what? Sorry, of the civil, civilized Sylvanar. Sorry, joining of the civilized and the wild side of the Bosmer. If Ulthorn were to sever the bond, the bulls, the Bosmer would ver- that would revert into their pre-mortal nature. I am really sorry. I'm not used to recording this early, and apparently my tongue isn't quite cooperating. Sorry. The, so the Bosmer, if Ulthorn were to sever the bond, the Bosmer would revert into their primordial state. As the Green Lady, by nature, would influence them to go feral, turning them into a bestial horde, and they would have unquenchable thirst and hunger. So, yeah, it kind of goes on about that. So, I, I, I think this this has to do with the um, the Grotwood uh, Zone story, where somebody violated the Green Pact. And you go and find out who it is. So, yeah, um, definitely check out that story. I've done a little bit of it. I haven't done everything in Grotwood, but I have done that. So let's talk about the... um, There's another story here about the Fallen Grotto. So um, the Reachful clan, the Dark Witness, sought to reclaim their historic territory and attacked the... Glenumbra word. So this, I believe, is the Markarth story. So yeah, definitely check that out also. That story was fun. So let's talk a little bit about the third era. So second era 405, an agent of the Blades paid the Glenmora Coven of Hyrock to, uh, a visit and he summoned Hircine. The huntsman told the agent of a contrite werebore in the area and requested to that he be taught a lesson. After impressing the prince by hunting down the creature 
out of its obvious misery, the agent was rewarded with Hircine's ring. I apologize, that wasn't the events of Arena, that was events the events of Daggerfall. Um, <laughs> Lotus and I kind of joked about how hard it is to remember what dates are, you know, correspond with what games. So that was actually the events of Daggerfall, not the events of Arena. I should have known when it said an, an agent of the Blades and not the champion, or the eternal champion. So um, next it talks about the skull, which uh, that, uh, should ring a bell if you've played the Dragonborn DLC in Skyrim. So the skull are a tribe of people that live on Solstheim. So the legend speaks of the Blood Moon prophecy, which foretells the coming of the great hunt to the island of Solstheim. According to the prophecy, the demon, a demon god would appear on Solstheim with his hounds and initiate the Hunter's Game. So this is the events of the Blood Moon DLC of Morrowind. So this um, happens in Third Era 427, and I've really, I've, that's, I've never played that in Morrowind. I've played a little bit of Tribunal, but I've never played Blood Moon, and that is when I really wanted to play. <clears throat> and um, you have to be really high level in Morrowind to be able to play that, really. I think they say at least level 50 or something like that. So, yeah, it goes on and talks a little bit more of that. I'm not going to provide any spoilers for that. Um, in Third Era 433, the champion of Cyrodiil uh, summoned Hircine at a shrine in Cyrodiil's Great Forest. And the prince tasked the champion with slaying of a unicorn in the Harking Grove that was protected by fearsome minotaurs. So this is something that I have done in Oblivion. Um, yeah, you don't have to kill the unicorn. I, I mean, you, you do if you want to complete the quest, but you can actually kind of tame the unicorn and ride it um but yeah the, to complete the quest you have to kill it which sucks so um although unicorns are native to hunting grounds this hunt is believed to have resulted in the beast extinction on Nern, which is why it's kind of sad that you actually do that um Despite this, they would remain a favorite subject of poets and artists, and it wasn't until 4th era 201 that the unicorn would be spotted on Nern again, one, uh, with one theory that being that the Sigic Order had transported one of the very last unicorns into the future to prevent their utter extinction. So, um, I don't know if I've encountered one in Skyrim, but apparently there is. So, um, during the Umbriel Crisis, which happens before the events of Skyrim in the 4th era, Hircine embedded, impeded on a journey of uh, Atribus Mead and his companion as they were passing through the hunting grounds to reach their destination. As Of course, these, um, this is the events of the books that I was talking about in an earlier episode. So, as eternal hunts are a norm within this realm, Mead and his companions became unwilling prey. They were slowly being bottled into by in by drivers until the nighttime, when Hircine would arrive with a pack of werewolves. Nighttime came, and two horn the two horns blared. Excuse me, and a deep and primal voice was heard upstream that was capable of leading one to mindless terror. At a glance, they saw an enormous silhouette of a man with horns of a stag and knew that Hircine had arrived. To ward off Hircine and his pack, members of the Gashit 
Fashe clan, yes, these Khajiit were very strong, that accompanied me to, behind them to stall them, allowing me and his companions to escape. These Khajiit were very brave. I tried to muddle myself after them. Really? <laughs> yes, this one loves to hear stories of very strong Khajiit. So, uh, we talked about the companions earlier. I'm not really going to get into that. If you've played any part of the companion storyline, you know that Codlack Whitemane becomes... Um, he, he's getting old, and he doesn't want to spend his you know, afterlife in the hunting grounds. He longs for Sovngarde. So he tasks you with finding a way to curing his lycanthropy. And uh, like I said, I'm not going to get into that. But, um, yeah. We've talked about the hunting grounds a lot already. I'm not going to get into that because, like I said, we've already pretty much addressed the hunting grounds. Um, but around the same year, uh, 4th Era 201, the Blood Moon is shown again. Um, so, this talk, this kind of gets into the artifacts of Hearsene, but uh, there's a quest where you hear about some murderer who was captured, and you find out that he's a werewolf. And he gives you a cursed ring of Hearsene. So, basically what happens is he gets this ring and it causes him to transform uh, involuntarily. So, you could be walking around in the middle of a city and turn into a werewolf. And, of course, everybody's going to attack you because you're a werewolf. And he ended up killing a girl. And he felt really bad and he gives you the ring. You you offer to take the ring from him. And so this happens to you. And he wants you to meet him in a place called Bloated Man's Grotto. And here scene starts the wild hunt. So everybody is out for his head. And you there are two ways you can do that. Actually, there's three ways. So I'll get into that. So you can either help him and kill the hunters and here seeing um cures the ring or you can side with the hunters and kill the werewolf and you get the savior's hide which is a curious that has some special abilities or you can do what i normally do and you can help here uh the werewolf fight off the hunters get the ring cured, and then go back and kill him and get the savior side also. So you can actually get both artifacts. So that's, like I said, that's typically what I do. But let's talk about a little bit about the artifacts themselves. So the ring of Hearsene is a Daedric artifact created by Hearsene, of course. And it's got the, it's an engraved metallic ring that shows the head of a wolf. And has also been known to appear as a buckler. But it can temporarily give the gift of lycanthropy to the wearer and allows the lycanthropes to control their transformations. Lycanthropes who possess the ring are not affected by the moons or by bloodlust and can change form at will. Hearsene punishes those that did not legitimately earn the ring, stripping the ring of its ability to trans you know, allow people to transform at will. So I guess that guy didn't 
uh, acquire the ring legitimately. For those who are non-lycanthropes, the ring is often useless, although it has been known to extend the wearer's life and allow for transformation uh, to the werewolf. So what it does in Skyrim, actually, is it allows you to have an additional transformation. Usually, you can only transform once a day, but it allows for an additional transformation as well. So let's talk about the Savior Side. So the Savior Side is also known as the Scourge of the Oathbreaker and the Hearsene Side. It's a Daedric artifact commonly associated with Hearsene, of course. So the Savior Side once referred to a as a full set of armor known as the Armor of the Savior Side, which of course is all parts of it. Over time, uh, the term Savior Side would predominantly be used to refer as the Curious of the Savior Side. And uh, the wearer, it makes the wearer resistant to magic. So there are three creation stories to the hide, with two crediting in Hercene and the third crediting Malakath, which is interesting, I didn't know that. The more widely known tale involving Hercene holds that the Daedric Prince rewarded the first mortal to escape his hunting grounds with his peeled hide. <laughs> which kind of goes along with this, the uh, Skyrim quest where you can actually... Uh, what you do when you kill the werewolf is you actually take his hide from his body and Hearsane turns it into the savior's hide. So um, this version of the story also claims that the curious gives the wearer resistance to magic. Another version claims that it was Hearsane himself who sewed the savior's hide from the hide of a werewolf, which again kind of goes along with the Skyrim quest. The third tradition uh, credits Malakath, um, so it's... Uh, it contains an inaccuracy stating that it makes the wearer vulnerable to magic instead of invulnerable. Despite the conflict between stories, they agree on points that the hide would protect from blows of the oath break of an oathbreaker and would protect the wearer from the sting of uh, Spear of Bitter's Mercy, which is another artifact that is an enigma to Tamerlians, but many believe it to be a Daedric in origin, despite lacuna of despite a lacuna of recorded history. However, multiple Spears of Bitter Mercy may exist. Originally forged by Mayrun's Dagon, it has, however, become a signature weapon of his ally, quote-unquote, Hircine, who has become the Daedric Prince that is most associated with the Spear. One of his titles given to him by the Reachfolk, the Spear of with Five Points, is relative to this. The weapon was once in Shik or As position possession, but his association with it and how it came to be obtained is unknown. He has notably he has notably stolen artifacts from his fellow princes in the past for his own amusement. Manrin's Dagon imbued the spear with his power for use in the ritual of the innocent quarry. This enchantment consists of this powerful Maleficent energies capable of instantly killing all but the High Dater Lord. So, kind of sounds a little bit like Mayrun's Razor, where it can kill with one hit. Thus, it is forbidden from being removed from the site of the Great Hunt, and it cannot be wielded by mortals or immortals except those sanctified to the hunt and bound by its rules. Because Dagon twisted his pact with the Chimera Dragon, I think is how you pronounce that, an unsanctioned wearer of the armor of the Savior's Hide can bear the spear, and armor's enchantments offer protection from the energies of the Oathbreaker. According to a Reachman myth, Hircine wields the Spear of Bitter Mercy when he takes on the aspect of an 
I saw it. All Rebeg, the hunter. It is one of the symbols of the five aspects, the other four being the totems of Hirsin, composed of three artifacts, and the totem of the five claw fang. The weapon grants its wielders a magic, magical shield as, where, as well as the ability to summon storm atronachs. In appearance, it is a metallic spear, usually with two or four protruding prongs surrounding the central spearhead. It is sometimes emblazoned with Daedric Hickam sigils, which I'm not sure what that is. I'm going to have to look into that. Representing the letter H. Much like the other artifacts associated with Hircine, it rejects a user who is unwil- unworthy of wielding it. So we also have the Spear of the Hunter, um, which is a, is a floral pattern adorned on a spearhead, which is, has a cross piece that curves downward on one end. Like the other spear, um, it is, little is known about it, and the spear is one of the more mysterious artifacts of Tamrielic War. So, I mentioned the Totem of Claw and Fang. It is a religious artifact sac- sacred to the Reach Folk and the Skull, and is a necklace that is decorated with claws and fangs of a great bear. The Reach clans believe that it is the symbol of Horikbeck, um, which I talked about earlier. The skull associated... Um, it with the spirit of a bear which they can summon by invoking powerful nature magic with uh, which it is then tracked down and killed by a skull to please the all maker during the Ristag so I talked about the totems of Hircine earlier I'm not going to really get into that now and then it gets into the hunting grounds which there are some pictures of the hunting grounds I'm guessing from ESO. So um, among so um, I mentioned that Hircine has servants and creatures earlier, so we'll just talk about that for just a brief second. Among Hircine's most revered servants are huntsmen, mysterious humanoid servants uh, from the hunting grounds that have Daedric hearts. Indeed, it is not uncommon for worshippers of Hircine to emulate the clothing of the huntsmen as a proxy of worship to Hircine. The typical lycanthrope is said likely to serve Hircine, who is the progenitor, uh, progenitor of their divine disease, quote-unquote. Hircine is the creator of the legendary unicorn, which I talked about earlier, which he occasionally brings from his hunting grounds and into Nurn to hunt. So, yeah, that really is it as far as Hircine. That was a lot there. Um, but um, I think it was great. A lot of good information there. I don't... Like, Hircine is... Uh, Daedra Lord that I kind of slept on a little bit. I didn't, I mean, yeah, he seems cool, but I didn't really talk, you know, think about him much other than, you know, the whole thing with werewolves. But, yeah, I guess he is also responsible for the unicorn. Um, in Skyrim, there are also werebears. In Daggerfall, I think I talked about this in the episode that I did with the Lotus of Doom in the last episode. Like I said, if you haven't checked that out, please definitely go check it out. Um, there are other forms of lycanthropes. Like, I think there is a werebore. Um, I don't remember what other ones there are. But there are more than just werewolves. So, of course, if you've played the um, 
companion storyline, you know that Ayala the Huntress is really high on being a werewolf. Um, she loves the hunt. She loves, she has a strong, um, her bloodlust is strong. Yeah. So anyway, that is it as far as here scene. I'd like to thank the hive as always for sponsoring this podcast. If you'd like to get a hold of me, um, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram personally at iangold08. You can find me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash I know I haven't streamed a lot lately. Uh, life has kind of gotten in the way. Um, you can also find me on TikTok, um, but I don't, um, I don't post things regularly. I have posted some personal things, but usually it's just videos that i record for twitter and instagram and you can email me if you so choose at um tamriel adventures podcast at gmail.com and ways you can help the show definitely 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 uh, leave a review um with some text on in on uh, apple Podcasts, uh, itunes even if you don't have a um an iPhone, you can still have a, um, a an, an Apple ID. Sorry, my brain kind of blanked there for a minute. So um, it definitely helps get eyes and ears on the show, which is always appreciated. Um, you can also find me on my other shows. There is uh, Nintendo, which um, that episode has been delayed um i'm trying to bring a guest on the show and there has been a uh issue with trying to find time to uh both record but the next episode is going to be on twilight princess um i'm going to touch base with him again to see if um there is time if there's not then you know no big deal no harm done and then also uh, there's Tapes from the Waste, which we recently did an episode on. Um, it was kind of a retrospective on uh, Steel Rain, but we also recently did an episode on Wendigos and the new update on Fallout 76. And uh, Andrew from the Fallout feed was nice enough to have a brief uh, cameo in that episode where he read Earl Williams's journal. That was really cool. Definitely, definitely go check that out. So next up, I'm going to skip Jigalag for now. He would technically be next if we're going alphabetically because he is mostly known for being associated with Sheogorath. And we'll get into that when we get to Sheogorath. So I'm going to skip Jigalag, and next up will be Malakath. So definitely stay tuned for that. So I'm going to get out of here. This has been a long episode. So as always, stay safe, adventurers.